two years. We are a Bible Fellowship Church, and uh, the Lord has been gracious to us to give us this facility and also uh, people just to worship together. And um, so God has been working, and uh, we're just excited to be together. You know, to still meet and to do what the Lord has called us to do as a church. Um, we did shut down for two months back in March, or April and May, actually. The end of March, we decided to, to just, you know, see where this virus was going to go. And uh, through God's grace, we started in the in middle of June. And ever since then, we've been meeting together. And uh, I don't know what this year has to bring. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that... Even through 2020, uh, we've thrived as a people, you know? We've thrived. We weren't, like, beat up about it. We weren't, you know, hung up about it. Matter of fact, we had baptism. We had a missions trip, uh, you know? So people called us crazy. People were like, are you sure you need to do that? And there was everything going on. And my thing is uh, we're using as much wisdom as possible but at the same time, we have to practice faith. So we went out to the Dominican Republic for a week and supported brothers and sisters in Christ out there, do what we do. We came back and all our tests came negative by God's grace. And uh, our brother who you know, was wrestling with the job situation, kept his job. Um, we could tell you stories. Um, and so the lesson I think through 2020 for us is that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. This isn't all there is. Thanks be to God. The world is showing us how much thankful we should be for, not, for it just not being this. This world, this fallen world, and the situations, the politics, the, the uncertainties of the world. Like, we're certain of one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know what I mean? And so I'm thankful to be a Christian. I'm thankful to be a believer because more than anything, 2020 has shown me that my anchor and, and my hope is in Christ. It's not in my marriage. It's not in missions trips. It's not in the church. It's not in, even in the good things. My hope and anchor is in the Lord. And so thanks be to God that we come out smiling. We come out rejoicing. And thankfully, our text today has to do with joy. Um, and so we are going to be in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. We are going through the gospel of John. Um, and so if you could turn there with me. John 16, 16 through 24, starting in verse 16. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me and because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. 
When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We ask, be with, we ask that you will be with us. God, we need you. We do not know what the future holds. We thought 2020 was going to be another year. Ended up being weird, different, unique, challenging. But Lord, we thank you that the joy you have given us remained. We thank you that through the struggles, the financial hardships, the things in our lives, strains on our marriages, uh, relationship strains, and things that have occurred, we thank you that you have kept us. So, Lord, we ask that through your word you would keep us, that you would sanctify us according to your word, that it would do something, it would prune and do a work in us. God, I pray that we will be faithful in listening and that I will be faithful in giving your word. God, we need you today. So let us worship in our hearing. May I worship you in the preaching, God, that you will be glorified. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 So a little background, because uh, we did have a baptism service last week. Uh, and we did have Brother West, Pastor West, come and preach. And the brother was fire. I already told y'all. He, he preached and ministered the word to us. He has a passion for the glory of God. Um, it's important for us to kind of remember what we read and talked about last time in verses 5 through 15 of this uh, gospel in this chapter. In verse 5, Jesus tells his disciples, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you are going. So he said this to them because prior to that, he warned them about an hour that was coming where they would be, he said, put out of the synagogues, where whoever killed them, he said, will think that they are offering a service to God. He's telling this to his disciples. And the reason why people will be doing this to the disciples is because they didn't know God. They didn't know the Father, and neither did they know Jesus Christ. So Jesus was telling them these things so that when the hour came of these things that he said would happen to them, they would remember what he had spoken. So that when he warned them, it would come to mind that these things that were going to happen to them were going to happen. So after this, Jesus told them that, he did not say these things to them from the beginning when he first was with them because he was still with them. He was telling them this in our text today because the time of his departure actually had come. He was leaving. And that's the context of what we're reading today. So after saying these things, Jesus said in verse 5, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you are going. We know that when Jesus spoke about leaving the disciples, what happened? Sorrow had filled their hearts. See that in verse 6. And if you remember, in verses 5 to 15, when we covered those verses, 
We talked about Luke 22:45, where it says they were so sorrowful that their sorrow exhausted them to the point of sleep. So they weren't just sad here. They were sorrowful. They were depressed. They were low because of Jesus saying that he was going to leave them. But Jesus sought to encourage them, telling them that it was to their advantage that he would go away. We see that in verse 7. And the reason for this was twofold. If you remember, we covered it first. Jesus would be an advocate for believers before the Father. We need an advocate. We need a lawyer. We need someone to say that we are innocent before the Father. Because, as you know, when you wake up in the morning, you can recall, even in the morning, that you did something sinful and wrong. Especially during the day. You did something deserving of the wrath of God. Therefore, when we do sin, we have an advocate to plead our case before the Father. And that's what Jesus did by leaving. So it's to our advantage that he went. The second thing we saw is that the Holy Spirit would be our present helper, our advocate here with us. Jesus going away with the Father would give us who believe an advocate before God who would declare them and also us righteous. And in going away, he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them and also to those who believe. So if you remember, we got into the purpose of the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's important, too. And the first that we read of his present ministry is that he will convict the world and the ruler of it in verses 8 through 11. The second thing we saw, his ministry is to guide the saints to all truth, verses 12 through 13. That's what I tell people. The Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. You know, and that's why a lot of people don't like listening to the Holy Spirit. He will always draw us to his word. That's why I take people to the scripture like, what, what's God's will? Go to the word. What, what should I do? Go to the scripture. Pray. May the Holy Spirit lead you. He'll guide you to all truth. That's what he does. He never leads his saints astray. The third thing we saw in his ministry is to glorify the son in verses 14 through 15. So Jesus, after encouraging the disciples with the truth of the Holy Spirit being with them, after he will go to the Father, we notice that this truth didn't sink in for the disciples. They seem to be very sorrowful still, even to the point of denying and refusing to believe that his going away was to their advantage. Verses 16 to 24 show us that even though there is lament and sorrow for the Christian, there is more importantly a joy for the Christian. The same joy Jesus gave his disciples in our text is the same joy, saints, he has given us here today. Can I get an amen on that? I think it's appropriate to remind us this because of the uncertainty and challenges of this last year we had. (laughs) No matter what happens, we should remember the joy given to us that no one can take away from us. We forget about that part. Yeah, there's there's joy because of what Christ has done. But that joy, remember, he said it to them and also it applies to us. This joy that God has given us, no one can take it away from us. No one. I would tie that into salvation. Because, you know, he's a good shepherd. I love, Benno always talks about it. He'll leave the 99 for the one. Always. He will never let us go over the cliff. 
As a matter of fact, we jumped off, he's that sovereign, he'll grab us or we'll just end up on the other side. He'll, he'll make a way Amen. to keep us because he's sovereign and he's in control and because he loves you. Yes. He's a loving shepherd. That's what he does. And so the first point of our outline, we'll see in verses 16 through 18 of our text, the confusion. The confusion in verses 16 through 18. Jesus, in verse 16, begins to tell them what he had already talked about in John 7, 33 through 34, where there was confusion about what he said. Okay, let's read John 7, 33 through 34. Take note of it. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. Sounds familiar. And then I am going to him who sent me. Verse 34, John 7, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. It's the same thing Jesus talked about in John 7, 33 to 34. The Jews responded the same way then to Jesus when speaking about going away. As a matter of fact, they talked about, is he going to the dispersion? Is he, is he going out to where the Gentiles are far away? Where is he talking about? Well, we're, we're not going to find him. But in our text today, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who had walked closely with him. Remembering how intense the sorrow was, we can probably understand why it seems confusing to them that Jesus spoke of seeing him no longer and how he was going to the Father. That was very hurtful for the disciples to hear. Verse 17 shows us that they asked questions to one another. It is possible that at this point they were not wanting to ask Jesus since he had already told them things that they didn't like. You know, so when somebody tells you some truth, with, with an F, that's T-R-O-O-F. That's how we say it. When somebody tells you some truth, right, those are the last people you go to where you know they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear. They, what Jesus told them caused great sorrow. So it makes sense that they would be afraid and not want to ask Jesus directly what he was talking about. John, the writer, helps us to nutshell what they were saying in verse 18. So they were saying, he says, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Their confusion came not from Jesus lacking communication skills, but it was because of how sorrowful they were. You know how it is when you're in great pain and anguish, things don't make sense sometimes. But he prepared them. See, he didn't just throw them into sorrow because of what he said. He prepared his disciples. In John 14, 1, he told them what to do. He says in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Then he gives them the answer. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He prepared them for what he was about to do. So instead of believing Jesus and trusting him in that it would be to their advantage that he go away, they questioned what he was saying and struggled to believe what he said. You have to remember that sorrow here meant to speak of a state of mental pain and anxiety. It was anguish to their soul. It was distress. It was sadness. It's used five times in the Gospel of John, which actually are all in this very chapter that we're reading, and only in this chapter. Their distress blinded them to the truth of it being better that Jesus would go. Even though it was for a little while, they still found themselves unable to find encouragement in what Jesus was telling them. 
So Jesus afterwards begins to explain to them what he was speaking of. And that's our second point, the explanation in verses 19 to 22. The explanation in verses 19 to 22. Let's read verses 19 to 22 together. Starting in verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. <laughs> so notice that the explanation does not speak of where Jesus was going. Jesus doesn't speak directly to what going to the Father actually meant there. He already explained that to them. But what he does do is speak directly to how they felt. He spoke to their sorrow. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. They were sorrowful. They were distressed, full of anxiety. Jesus made it clear that he was leaving them, but they could not get over on how they felt about that. Jesus also didn't hide the fact that they would weep and lament and how the world will rejoice which could have seemed insensitive in this day and age. You, that's the last thing you want to tell somebody that when they're broken. Oh, you feel broke? You feel sorrowful? You feel hurt? Well, you're going to hurt a little later on, too. We live in a culture where you don't say those things to people. But Jesus didn't deny the truth. Sadly, there are many who have become disillusioned by a need to be positive to the point of denying truth. Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, he's empathizing with them. He understands they feel sorrowful. He understands there's pain, but he was telling them, believe in God, believe also in me. I will come again. And when I come, your sorrow will turn into joy. So Jesus told them the truth of the inevitable suffering they would face, but saints, it wasn't without hope. He doesn't avoid speaking about suffering to those who have severe sorrow. The reason is because it was true that they would weep and lament. But what Jesus says in verse 20 is very important. In fact, it should have been their anchor when faced with what he told them was coming. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. It will turn into joy. So their state of mental pain, anxiety, distress, and sadness will turn into what the word joy means, delight and jubilance. Delight and jubilance. In the Old Testament, the word jubilant was very closely tied to dancing, to celebrating. That was the opposite of what they felt at that point. In the natural mind, this wouldn't make sense to have joy that is not externally dependent on circumstances. How does this make sense? Well, Jesus follows with an example to help them to understand why it does make sense. In verse 21, he gives them an example. When a woman is giving birth, he says in verse 21, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish 
for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now it's starting to make sense. He's trying to break it down to them. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So the disciples had sorrow and Jesus said they would weep and lament all because of the hour of Jesus' death being present where he would give himself to die. His hour had come and he was telling them that he was leaving them. But what should have encouraged them was the truth about his resurrection. In the example, we know that a woman giving birth is a good thing, even though the world is trying hard to make abortion a good thing. Which, you know, I want to touch on a little bit because this illustration would be foreign to an ideology that sees and celebrates death in the womb. It's troubling to see that one could actually, actually be joyful at the ending of a life. Argentina just legalized abortion in their country and they're celebrating over it. I actually read an article about a so-called religious rights organization called, check it out, the Satanic Temple. They are challenging state restrictions on abortions conducted during the first trimester. And they are claiming that these restrictions, check this out, violate their religious beliefs as Satanists. The world is confused about life, about joy. They not only cannot understand this joy that Jesus promises to those who believe, but they actually trade the joy of a life being born with the joy and ending a life. So the world can't comprehend these things. When we talk about a joy in Christ, they can't even understand that life in the womb is precious. Presently, worldly circumstances that are painful and difficult can be endured by a Christian with the joy that is not dependent on these circumstances. That's why James said in chapter 1, verse 2 and 4 of James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So count it all joy when you're going through some crazy stuff in your life. When life seems out of control, when your Savior's telling you he's not going to be with you anymore, they should have counted all joy, but they were trapped in their sorrow. See, even though the world is confused, saints, about this issue and actually sinful in their view of it, we see Jesus clearly using this illustration to speak of the sorrow that comes from pain, but also the joy that a believer can have even in the midst of trials. That is the Christian life. That even though we will weep and lament today, we will rejoice nonetheless. We have every reason to be joyful. Jesus wasn't shy about this. Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. How is it that mourning is a blessing? How, how can you say I'm blessed when I'm mourning? When there's loss, when there's issues in my life? Well, it's because they shall be comforted. The comforter comes. He holds you. He, 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 he empathizes. He's loving you at that point. He's closest to you. You know what I'm saying? You, I don't know. In times of my life, when I was mourning, when I was broken, I'll, I'll be honest, that's when I felt the Lord closest. He was there. He wasn't absent from my suffering. He was there. 
we will mourn, but we are blessed because we will be comforted by him. It's a promise. We as believers have a hope. And in detail, this hope is very descriptive in Revelations 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. You know what Jesus was telling his disciples to do? To look ahead. Don't get trapped in the now. Look ahead. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, he says. So the answer to this sorrow was not freedom from what was to come, but in who was to come. And who was to come? The cause to their rejoicing was not exemption of trials and troubles, but it was in the possession of the promise of him coming to them again, seeing him again in the resurrection. Jesus had already talked about how blessed they were when these things would happen to them. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. This is what he taught. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, he says, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. At his return to his disciples, we do see this joy at work. It actually comes to pass in Luke 24, 50-53. And he led them out, of, uh, out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. This is after the resurrection. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple, blessing God. Philip, when preaching the gospel in the city of Samaria in Acts 8, verses 4 through 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when he heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then in verse 8 it says, so there was much joy in that city. Paul, giving a word of encouragement to those in Antioch, had many Jews who were devout to Judaism following him, and he had many speaking against him when he was preaching in Acts chapter 13. You know, they were persecuted there for the preaching of the gospel. In verse 52 of Acts 13, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised here in our text. They also had joy that no one, the joy that no one would take from them. We kind of see that in the, in the book of Acts. It's crazy to see the persecution that the believers were facing, and yet we see the joy of the Lord in them. The joy in our passage today given to the disciples is the same joy, saints, that is extended to us. The Christian does have the third person of the Trinity in them, Right? Do you? <laughs> Is he comforting you? Has he convicted you? Is he guiding you? Well, there's a promise guarantee in that inheritance, and it's called joy. That's not dependent on external circumstances. 
We are his temples. Our joy is sealed and no one can take it from us. So being joyful is possible in the midst of turbulent circumstances. In fact, it's important for us to be joyful. What a poor testimony for us to be the most depressed person in the world and have the Holy Spirit in us. Proverbs 17.22 actually points to the fact that it's not good for your body. Proverbs 17.22 says a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Be joyful, saint. It's actually good for your health. Proverbs 15.13 says a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. So the joy of the Christian is not dependent on external circumstances, but on the truth of being with Jesus again. And in the meantime, having the Holy Spirit in us as our helper. We will see our Lord again. Jesus was leaving and they were filled with great sorrow over what Jesus said would happen. But what should have filled their hearts with joy was the truth of him being with them again. And so it is with us. So, saints, my prayer this year for our church is that God will fill our hearts with joy this year. That we would remember that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Remembering that death shall be no more. How mourning and crying and pain will pass away. Remembering how blessed we are because of being confident and being his. For the disciples in our text, this was a challenge. But when Jesus would ascend and send forth his Holy Spirit, they would return to Jerusalem, it says, with joy. So this should console us, saints. It should compel us to trust when asking God for what we need, which is the third point. We see the consolation in verses 23 to 24. In John 15, Jesus spoke about this very same thing in these verses. John 15, 7 through 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We went through this passage, uh, when we went through this passage, we spoke of asking being inseparable from fruit bearing. So the purpose of fruit bearing is so that it speaks of the Father's work in Christ through those who have come to saving faith, which demands evidence. Okay, and so when we're asking God, and John 15 is teaching us, the Lord, you know, is teaching us that asking the Lord and he'll give us whatever, you know, we're asking for, it, it just doesn't mean that we'll get whatever we want, if you remember. He'll give us what we exactly need for fruit bearing. That's what that's about. It's not like we can ask him for the whip, we can ask him for a house, we can ask him for, you know, like, you know, the Yeezys, you know what I'm saying, about $500. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about material things. He's not talking about things that you would like to have. When he talks about asking, he's going to give you what you need to bear fruit. And that should give us some, some comfort. Some consolation because the Christian life sometimes it feels like it's hard to live. It feels, you know, when he tells us to love our enemies, that's hard to do. It's hard to love someone who's hard to love. So, Lord, give me the grace to love someone. 
And you know what? He'll give that to you. He won't withhold that from you. God, I want to be a better father, a better husband, Lord. Help me. He'll help you. God, I want a red Ferrari. I don't know about that. God's going to be like, nah, you're good. Good with your little Toyota to sell. You're good. You know what I'm saying? Sapito, as we called it back in the day. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. He's not saying that we can ask whatever when it comes to whatever we want, but that he will give us exactly what we need for the Christian life. If there should be a prayer this year, saints, our prayer should be that we would ask God for wisdom. Okay, so I'm not into, you know, giving you a prophetic word and all that that pe- a lot of churches do for the year of 2021, you know, and this is the word, you know, and we're all going to, you know, none of that, okay? We don't do that here, okay? No prophets, no apostles here, sorry. Um, but a good prayer this year is to ask God for wisdom. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You kind of see that with the disciples, don't we, and how they felt. They couldn't even hear that it was better for Jesus to go. They couldn't even hear that the sorrow would turn into joy. They couldn't hear the promises that Jesus was giving them to their face. Then it says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So let's pray for wisdom. And let's pray that the Lord will keep us from a double-mindedness this year. May God grant us this year, saints, a joyful heart. He promised that to those who believe. It's good medicine to us. May he grant us a glad heart, one that will make us cheerful in the midst of hard circumstances. May he give us wisdom to walk carefully before our God. So that when the trials and situations come up this year, that we would remember what Jesus said. No one will take your joy from me. The disciples should have listened to that, made the mistake. You know what? What is amazing? He still breathed into them the Holy Spirit later in John. He had a will. He had a promise. He's faithful. He will be faithful. We're the ones who are faithless. We're the ones who struggle to be faithful. But I would pray that God will give us wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That we would fear him, that we would love him that we would have joy in our hearts this year, no matter what happens in our world, but that we will be a joyful church, a joyful people for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We ask you would be with us. You made these statements that we read in John 14, 1. To not be troubled. You said that to the disciples, to believe in God and to also believe in you. And we saw in their lives 
the instability, the uncertainty, how they felt, how sorrowful they felt to the point of being tired, exhausted. But Lord, you're a good shepherd. You came back. You comforted them. You revealed yourself to them in the resurrection, and they were joyful. They went to Jerusalem with joy. Lord, would you do that with us? That we will look at the resurrection, at the truth of the gospel, and draw joy from that. That we will be a joyful church, a joyful people for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, uh, we're going to do communion together, so I would ask that you would prepare yourselves. Um, thank you, brother. If you could turn off the power.